Psalm 21, if you've got your Bible, titled Joy in the Salvation of the Lord, or as we go through the text tonight, we'll see it's actually exceeding joy in the salvation of the Lord. Exceeding joy. Um, Working through the Psalms, I think uh, we're going to pray tonight. We don't have a nation of focus this week. Uh, we're going to have Prineville be our nation of focus, um, and we're going to pray just over the outdoor service uh, for this Sunday and bathe that in prayer and um, kind of feeling led a couple different directions. Um, so you can just be praying. Either we'll stay in Psalm 19 as we were in last time and look at how valuable and precious the Word of God is and maybe do a, a study on the inerrancy and infallibility of the Scriptures Maybe for all who would gather as we're just in such a turmoil as a nation and just kind of rejecting the inerrancy of the scriptures and just all, all of us have our own private interpretations and that leads to so much trouble. And, uh, or um, what I was, I was feeling something different until this morning and then I, so I'm praying about that. But, or this Sunday we'll be in Psalm 22, uh, which is um, just an incredible prophecy hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. It's a prophecy of the cross and of Jesus and the very words that would be said at the cross and the very actions that would happen at the cross, such as uh, my hands and my feet, and my feet they have pierced and dogs cast, uh, have surrounded me, which speaks of Roman soldiers and Gentiles and casting lots for my clothing and just so many just incredibly wonderful prophecies. And so right now, really, that's the direction we're going for this Sunday and then maybe for our next Sunday service in the park, Psalm 23, uh, the, that famous psalm and teaching Jesus is our shepherd. Um, so just praying, feeling led this, this summer so far that we'll maybe touch on some key psalms with the whole body and um, an outreach style as well. So you can be praying and we'll pray. So, uh, but yeah, I almost did Psalm 24 tonight as well, but didn't have quite the time to tackle it. So um, we're moving through those psalms, you know, we're moving through them. Um, so Psalm 21, joy in the salvation of the Lord. Now, you'll remember last week in Psalm 20, hi McKinnons, good to see you guys. We're just one big family here. I know, you kind of do. <laughs> um, so remember in Psalm 20, just anyone remember last week, what was happening in Psalm 20? Yes. The nation of Israel and the army of Israel was praying and interceding for David while David was in the tabernacle interceding before they went into battle, okay? And so uh, just a, an incredible, incredible psalm last week, and it's really cool because our psalm this week, Psalm 21, tells us what happened after that battle and after that, that prayer for David and that prayer for the battle. Um, so let's read Psalm 20 real quick, and um, just to get a, have a reminder. So we're going back one chapter, Psalm 20. It's, it's uh, nine verses. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Remember, these, this is Israel praying for David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. So David is in the sanctuary. He's praying. May God send you help while you're in there. 
send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, or save the king, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. So that was the prayer over David and the prayer for the battle that was about to take place. And now Psalm 21, where we're at tonight, written after this battle's taken place, God has brought David the victory, and so now David writes a song or a psalm of triumph. Uh, One commentary writes, uh, in the latter half, I just really resonated with me. The doxology, or the praise added, may relate to both psalms. The proceeding of petition chiefly this of thanksgiving, ascribing honor to God for his display of grace and power to his church in all ages, not only under David, but also under his last greatest successor, the king of the Jews. I just love that. Let me read just the second half again. This is ascribing honor to God for his display of grace and power. I don't need this guitar pick anymore. Okay. For his display of grace and power to his church in all ages, not only under David, but also under his last greatest successor, the king of the Jews. So keep that in mind tonight. The, the victory and the power and the grace of God poured out to us tonight through the son of David, through the ultimate, true and better David, Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So verse 1 tonight, just remember, that's all the context going into it. Verse 1, the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. So just notice some of these key words here. There is joy and great rejoicing. Imagine what kind of bodily posture comes when there's joy and great rejoicing and just elevation of heart and soul. Just imagine David with, I guess he didn't have a quill in his hand, I don't really know, some sort of pencil thing, <laughs> you know, as he's writing this out. Um, you know, the, the, the pen perhaps moving quickly, uh, maybe laughing, maybe shouting, maybe just sighs of, oh, you did it, you did it, as he writes this. And he's joyful and has great rejoicing as the king, which makes this psalm so exciting. This is a king writing it. And that's one of the incredible things about studying the inerrancy of Scripture is that all of the different authors of Scripture, one of them was a king, all right? In fact, a few of them were kings, but 
just how incredible that is. These aren't guys that were high on opiates when they wrote it. Uh, you know, we have all sorts of different men from all different walks of life throughout um, dozens of centuries, thousands of years, um, like three different continents, all of these different guys, um, was it 66 different books from all of these different man walks of life, and there's one key overlying theme, that God would be glorified in redeeming people by the death of his son. Like, that's incredible. And so here we have a king, an intelligent man, an author, writing this with such incredible joy. And he's joyful because of God's strength and because of his salvation. Listen to what James Montgomery uh, Boyce said. The ancient Jewish, Jewish Targum which was the Chaldean paraphrase of the Old Testament, renders the word king in verse 1 to be Melech Mashiach, which in the Hebrew is King Messiah. Okay, so the King Messiah here. It means that the Jews in an early period understood these words to be spoken of the Messiah. A change came in the Middle Ages as a result of a judgment by Rabbi Solomon Isaacy, known as Rashi, uh, born in 1040 AD. He endorsed this early view, but suggested it be dropped, saying, Our old doctors interpreted this psalm of King Messiah, but in order to meet the schismatics, that is, the Christians, it is better to understand it of David himself. And so this rabbi basically saying, you know what? These Christians, they're going to be saying that this is a prophecy of Jesus. And I'm just, you know, just sick of hearing about these Christians talking about Jesus being the Messiah. So we're going to move away from that. Uh, but how cool to hear that the original, uh, some of the original languages in the Jewish Targum that we're speaking of King Messiah. So the King Messiah will have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice. Verse 2, you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? We read it tonight, and it was in our psalm last week, and it was in the prayer of the people last week. Okay, so it's back in our psalm, Psalm 20 from last week, when the people were praying in verse 4, may he, and it's up on the screen, may he grant you according to your heart's desire. That was their prayer for David. As he's in praying, they pray that for him, and then a battle takes place. He comes back full of joy in the salvation and the strength of the Lord. He'd heard what they had prayed. And by the way, guys, I've been getting so many texts this week after last week when, when we mentioned, you know, how encouraging it is when the people pray for their leaders and have just been getting texts and encouragement this week, praying for you, you know, just so much encouragement. And, um, and for people to say, hey, did you know that we prayed this for you last week or that we prayed this and this? And just to hear the specifics, that is like so radically encouraging. And so for David, he heard what they'd prayed for him while he was in the tabernacle. We prayed for you, King David, that the Lord would grant all of your heart's desire. And we know that your heart's desire, it's not selfish stuff like, God, give me like the most 
studly-looking donkey to ride on throughout Israel. Nothing selfish like that. King David, you've been pursuing the heart of the Lord. You're a man after God's own heart. And we know the whole of the scriptures say that, man, those who have made the Lord their desire, he's going to give their desire. And so that's what we prayed for you, King David. He heard about it, went into battle. There's, there's a defeat of the enemies, although we'll see in our text tonight that, that the enemies still are kind of remaining on the battlefield. There's still, some, there's still enemies that David has. But he's able to say, the Lord answered my prayer. He has done that, verse 2 said. You have given the king his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Fast forward this a couple thousand years to Jesus, the son of David, when he says, my will is to do the will of the father who sent me, or my bread is my food is to do the will of the father that sent me. That's my desire. And as he was in the garden praying those vehement cries to him who heard him, Hebrews says, he was able to say, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. My food, my will is to accomplish your will. And your will is that you be glorified through the death of me, redeeming mankind. So ultimately, this prayer is fulfilled in Jesus God has granted him his heart's desire. And now he's at the right hand of the Father in glory. And things are being set in motion, we'll see by the end of tonight, for him to come in power and glory and set up his throne, the throne of David here on earth. Oh, I'm stealing all the thunder for you guys being able to read tonight. Verse 3, For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure goodness gold upon his head. This isn't a Stephanos, you know, one of those leafy crowns that perishes. This is a pure gold crown, the finest of crowns for the finest victor. Verse four, he asked life from you. So we kind of get insight into what happened while David was praying there in the tabernacle back in Psalm 20. He was asking for life. You know, these are the days when you lose a battle in your Whole family becomes slaves, especially if you're a king. They'll kill the kings. We see that in the, in the, in the conquests of the kings and chronicles. Uh, Lord, keep, preserve my life and preserve the life of Israel. Uh, uh, you, uh, he asked life from you, verse 4, and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever, this prayer became true and we know that ultimately he's praying for the promise of the Lord in him to be fulfilled. The throne of David, King Messiah, Melech Mashiach, that the King Messiah would have length of days forever and ever and ever. And ultimately this is fulfilled in Jesus. Look at Psalm seventy-two, seventeen. And Linz, will you read this for us? So the son of David is ultimately the one who was given life to live forever and ever and ever and, and through his power and resurrection that's imputed to us that's given to us as well but Jesus Jesus is the hero Jesus is the one that was given this forever and ever life and I love that I'm I'm the one that lived and then I was dead and they thought that they won Satan thought he won but then I'm alive forevermore 
Uh, this is also available to all who would call upon him for life. And so the phrase here, length of days forever and ever, is equivalent to our New Testament phraseology of eternal life. <laughs> length of days forever and ever, New Testament, we say it, eternal life. And if you do a word search for eternal life, it's a New Testament word that's found 32 times in the New Testament. I mean, I don't know, there's not 32 of us here, but if every one of us just went around, eternal life, eternal life, and just said it, you know, that would just be like, whew, you know, God's got a message in the word about length of days that go on forever and ever. Kidner writes, while the gift of life forever and ever might have applied to an Old Testament reader, either a hyperbole, a hyperbole, hyperbole, sorry, <laughs> hyperbole, or an allusion to the endless dynasty promised to David, the New Testament has filled in the picture firmly with the figure of the ultimate king, the Messiah, for whom the whole stanza is true without exaggeration. I love that. The Messiah, all of this is true. The whole stanza is true of length of days, forever and ever. The whole stanza is true without exaggeration. Let's look at some of these eternal life passages. Josh, why don't you read John three fourteen through 17. So Jesus is preaching the gospel to Nicodemus and he uses an Old Testament picture that was pointing to something better than a bronze serpent. You remember everyone in Israel was bit by these serpents because of their complaining and because of their wickedness and they were going to die. And so the Lord says, well, cast a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and raise it up in front of the people. And anyone that will just look at that serpent will be healed, will have life, won't die. And how tragic that in that story, there were people that were like, that's so dumb. I'm not going to, oh, I'm not going to, no, yeah, I'm not going to do that. You know, even though they're out there worshiping every dumb golden calf that they can create, you know, I'm not going to do that, bro. You know, and, but the people that would look would find life. And that points to the true and better one who hung on a tree that anyone would look at him. They would be healed from the plague, the plague of sin and of death. And the life that they're given isn't a temporal little let's finish out this wilderness wanderings type of a life, but it's a life that is eternal in the heavens. How wonderful is that? John six sixty eight. 68, uh, Aaron. So as we read those 32 times in the New Testament where the words eternal life are the one, are, it's used. And that's just one form of that phrase. Um, Jesus is the one, as we sang tonight, that has the, word, has the words of eternal life. How interesting that the Buddhists, they're not looking for eternal life. They're looking for, just get me out of this. Just make me to cease to exist. That's what I want. I want to get to this point where I'll stop the, you know, the, um, the cycle. And, and I don't even want to be a god. I want to just stop existing. And, and come to nirvana where you're snuffed out like a candle. Um, but Jesus has something so much better than that. He has eternal life in paradise for all who would believe in him. 1 John 5.11 through 13, Gail. So John wrote a lot about eternal life. That was something that he was really excited about. Um, we noticed that eternal life is in the Son. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. This Length of days, forever and ever. Who is it found in? 
It's found in the son of David. How wonderful that in the passage Gail just read, there's the assurance of eternal life. There's the assurance that we can know that we're going to heaven, but it ends with, you've got to continue believing. You can't just, oh, yeah, totally believe in Jesus right here, Billy Graham or whatever. And I love Billy Graham, but you know that's so often how it goes. It's just like, right here, okay, now I'm going to go live for myself and not live a life that reflects belief in Jesus. That belief has got to continue. Um, And so we can have assurance of our salvation. That assurance is found as we're continuing to believe in the name of the Son of God. Length of days forever and ever. Don't you like that? Verse 5 in our text, our Psalm 21. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. Interesting to read this and to notice that David immediately is talking about himself. He's essentially saying, my glory is great in your salvation. Okay? Or also, the the true fulfillment, the king of kings, his glory is great in your salvation, in your plan of salvation. So, the king David received glory, and it was great glory in God saving them out of the battle. Okay, so and you can only imagine, right? He leads them through the battle. They're triumphant. The cheers and the, you know, all of that. And who did they lift up on their shoulders, you know? They lift up their king, right? There's a level of, of joy and we're so stoked that you're our leader and all of that. And there's glory for him. And the ticket, ticket how do they call it? The ticker parade? Ticker take ticker tape parade, <laughs> uh, you know, going through back into Jerusalem, you know, and the streamers coming down and the roses being through. Okay, all that. I don't know that that happened, but <laughs> the Gatorade, exactly like the coach that gets the glory, right? David does get a level of glory, but what does he do with the glory? He does not dare keep it upon himself. He turns it and reflects the glory back to the Lord. So the king's glory is great in your salvation. Honor is given to King David. Majesty you've placed upon him through your salvation, through your strength, through delivering us in the battle. And you know what? Of course that's fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. In Revelation 5, 8 through 12, Ron, will you read it? Oh, I didn't put that one in there? I'm sorry. Sometimes when I'm entering these, I just get so excited and I skip a few. Let me read it real quick. Sorry, Ron. I pulled a Paula on you. (laughs) Oh, man, just slap me real hard. (laughs) Don't worry. I specifically calculated it, Paula, so that you got the right verse tonight. So, Revelation 5, 8 through 12. Now, when he had taken the scroll, and by the way, um, as I've studied this and, and a lot of commentaries, they believe that the scroll that, remember in Revelation 5, there's a scroll One of the angels has it, and no one is found in heaven or on earth or under the earth to be worthy to take the scroll that has seven seals on it. And everyone cries, and John cries. Who is able to take this scroll? And then finally, like an angel says, don't cry. Look, there's someone who can take this scroll and loose its seals. And there is one who looks like a lamb who's been slain. And he comes and he grabs the scroll. And it's believed that the the way this scroll looks, they believe that it's the title deed to the earth. And then he's able to take back what, you know, Satan had taken it. 
Okay, remember when Satan says, like, all of this is mine, and if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give it back. The devil does, or Jesus doesn't say, oh, yeah, right, it's mine, I made all this. No, he says, oh, you've got it for now, buddy. But I'm going to get it back. And so he's able, he's worthy now to get that scroll and to loose the seals, the seven plagues that are going to begin everything in cycle to get the world back. Okay, so this is what's happening as we read Revelation 5. When Jesus had taken the scroll, everyone had just rejoiced that this lamb who'd been slain had taken the scroll. The four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And we've been reading Ezekiel lately in our Bible reading plan, haven't we? And we've been reading about these living creatures, these cherubim with all of these wings and all of these eyes and the specific purpose of worshiping the Lord. And when their wings are going when they're in heaven. What did we read in Ezekiel this last week? It's like a giant earthquake is going on. And so he takes the scroll and then, <laughs> you know, just like, yeah, you know, so much hype. And like, I was just hearing this week, I never knew this, that the Seattle Seahawks stadium, I guess, gets so loud during games that they've broken the sound barrier. Have you guys ever heard that? I never knew that. I'm not like a huge sports follower but um but imagine just multiply that in heaven when you've got the tw- uh, the living creatures and the 24 elders which it's believed are symbolic of a representative of the church made up of jews and gentiles the 12 tribes and the 12 disciples falling down um each having a harp golden full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Okay, so just keep in mind that the the psalm that we're in tonight, how it just said that the king receives glory through your salvation. Here we have Jesus receiving glory through salvation. He's receiving glory through this whole plan, through him being slain, and every tribe, tongue, and people, you can't get away from it. As you look at the word of God, all of the nations will be represented there, worshiping God. And notice the word us. You've redeemed us to God. So at this point, there what we're reading is every tribe, tongue, and nation, people group saying this. And this is at the beginning of the tribulation period. This is in the throne room of God just before the tribulation happens. Every tribe, tongue, people, they're all there worshiping. They're singing about salvation. And then verse 10 in Revelation 5, and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures and elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of thousands. And in my revelation notes, I have what that actually turns out to be number-wise, but it's like a billion, trillion, gazillion, okay? Uh, it's, it's so many redeemed, and the angels who, Peter says, angels look into God's plan of salvation, and they're amazed at it. Because angels have been there since the beginning. They've watched man in his wickedness rebel against God. And they probably were there saying, Lord, just smite him and crush him and let's start all over, you know? And yet they watch the second person of the Trinity clothe himself in flesh 
and go down and live an obedient life and be killed and slain by his own creation. And Peter says, angels are looking into that saying, this is incredible. And so even they are there worshiping in heaven in God's plan of salvation because this is like better than any novel that could be written. This is like the greatest rescue attempt in history and it's been victorious. And now we're here and every tribe, tongue, people, and nation group are worshiping. It's done. All that has to happen now is God has got to go crush his enemy a final time and we'll all go and it'll be set up in, in Jerusalem in glory. This is incredible. And so all of these angels and the thousands and billions and trillions say with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Oh, man, my heart is beating really fast right now. This is like one of the best worship times that you could ever be a part of. This is better than Hillsong, Hillsong United, the Bethel Live Band, Jesus Culture, David Crowder, Chris Tomlin, the Passion Band, all combined into one. This is like the greatest rocking out worship time we could ever possibly have right there in heaven. But notice, we don't want to get away from, I'm not, not on a rabbit trail right now. This is all fulfilling what David had written. As you look at verse 9 of Revelation 5, you see honor and majesty in salvation, not only true for David, not only true for Jesus, as twice here it says, worthy are you, Jesus, worthy are you, because you've redeemed us by your blood, Jesus. Verse 12, Worthy is the lamb who's slain. This is worshiping God, right? This is kissing God. Worthy are you to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. I mean, that's like, I've run out of words to just worship you, God. And while all of that is like the, the pinnacle of it, something awesome, something that's wonderful, it's like a sprinkle on the ice cream. It might not be a cherry on the top of the ice cream, but it's sure a sprinkle on the ice cream is that God has given us glory through his salvation, right? Just as David said, you have glorified me through your salvation. And we all know that the chief end is Jesus being glorified, and we just read it, but look in verse 9, or verse 10, I'm sorry. You have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Can we go back to um, our verse in the psalm? which is verse um, five. David said, my glory is great in your salvation. I've been given honor and majesty. You've placed that upon me. And in Revelation, we see that is true for the church as well. That the redeemed have been made kings and priests on the earth and we will rule and reign on the earth. Not because of us. We would have died in the battle, amen? Amen. But because of your salvation, you've given us glory. Our glory is great. You've given us. This is grace, you guys. We are not worthy of this. I'm not really awesome. Like, God, you better darn sure you give me some glory and majesty. No. Like, I don't deserve any. This is grace. Grace. And nothing but grace poured out upon us. We will be kings on the earth one day. And queens. Kings and queens, okay? And priests serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Honor and majesty will be given to us. And you know what we do with all of that? 
we go visit the Lord and worship him often. Doesn't end with us, finally I've got my kingdom on earth now, as the Mormons believe. Finally I've got my own planet now to, to populate and become God and be God, just as God was once man, now will be God. And you know, that's really at the, the core of their doctrine. And we're not doing this so that I can't wait to be a king on the earth and rule and reign. No, we do it all so that we can magnify God and keep giving God glory. He gives us radical positions so that we can worship him radically. Verse 6 of our text tonight. Man, isn't it so tempting to just skip over these psalms? Oh, these are a little... Like, I've, I've been like, man, this is going to take us 120-something weeks to go through this. 140-something weeks to go through the psalms. Let's skip some of these lesser-known or lesser-appreciated... <sighs> could you imagine if we would have skipped over Psalm 21 tonight? Like, this is incredible. Verse 6, For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. So we've been made most blessed. David was made most blessed forever. Jesus is made most blessed forever. And we, because of Jesus, have been made most blessed forever. Look at Galatians 3, 8, and 9, and then verse 14. Tabitha, you up to reading? Yeah, it'll be up there here. Uh, There we go. So one of the first passages in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, talk about how Abraham will be a blessing to the whole world. All the tribes, all the tongues, all the nations, all the families, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. In fact, in my notes, the word blessing, I just I underlined it so many times in the promise to Abraham. God is about blessing the people of this earth through Jesus. And Tabitha just read it, that All of that was fulfilled in Jesus, and we are all children of Abraham by believing in Jesus, so the blessing comes to us, and then we go and preach this message, and the blessing goes to others as well. As David said, you have made him most blessed forever. I like that. Most blessed. Most blessed. The other phrase is exceedingly glad in the psalm tonight. Most blessed and exceedingly glad. Here's one more most blessed. Um, Mark, you want to read Ephesians 1.3? There's a whole lot of blessings there. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Three times in that one little verse. Jesus has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And it's in heavenly places and it's in Christ. So we're most blessed and exceedingly glad. Uh, literally joyful with gladness here. Like, I'm joyful with gladness. And have you ever been there? Has anybody ever been there? Guys, like, I was studying today, and I was remembering a time where we had a decision to make as elders, and I had, we'd fasted a week, or we'd fasted a week, but we'd fasted really like a month to pray about it. And the Lord had been speaking to me what I, I felt from the word where we were supposed to go. And I just hope that God brought all the elders on board in unity and just went into this meeting and the Lord just like showed up, spoke the exact same thing. It was just incredible. And, and I drove away from that meeting shouting in my truck. Like I'd been for a month, I'd just been like, man, I think I got a few gray hairs that day, you know, like just, and maybe a few wrinkles. Yeah, just, it's just 
Lord, how could this turn out good? How, how could you bring us all onto the same page? How could you, you know, and he did it and I drove away and we'd met at Kevin's house. And uh, as we drove away, if you would have been on the side streets, you know, you would have heard me like joyful with gladness, like in the faithfulness of God, just like, Lord, you say you're faithful. I've seen you to be faithful in the past and look, here you go again. Like, why was I even worrying? So faithful. Anybody else think of a time when you were um, joyful with gladness? Just could have written a song, could have written a psalm. Like, anybody else have those times? And when I'm talking like, okay, you know, your fiance said yes when you proposed. and Okay, I guess that, that's a miracle for some of you. Can anybody think of a time? Joyful with gladness, exceeding, exceedingly glad. Man, we got to like have some stuff happen around here so that we have some stories to tell. I hope by the end of this Bible study, somebody has something to say. But notice in the psalm, this exceeding gladness or exceedingly glad, it's from being in the presence of the Lord. Okay, so that's really... Um, that's really the, the, the truest joy comes from being in the presence of God. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Our, that's amazing. Praise God. Our contact in Nepal, Jack Reed, um, he's been asked to go into Syria and to um, speak to the churches that they would reach out um, in outreach to ISIS, and they won't do it. Uh, and there's just a couple churches, a couple small churches that have been ministering to the families of ISIS. And because all the men are off out doing their war thing, all the wives and kids have been abandoned and considered worthless. And like, there's a revival going on in the wives and the children of ISIS. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a Saul of Tarsus type thing. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I was just thinking of another time um, when uh, we were done with the banquet for Nepal. And, um, you know, we figuring out the numbers of what we had to send this team in the next week to go to Nepal. And we had the thermometer of the Himalayan mountain, you know, and it was literally a giant mountain. Would we ever be able to raise that much money? And we were able to put like a mark way up in the sky, like we've made it up here in our fundraising. Praise God. Like, I was here at um, 1 o'clock in the morning that, that day, um, and I got the numbers in at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I texted Tina uh, because I was so excited. She was our bookkeeper, and I was like, can you believe it? And we went back and forth, and finally she was like, okay, I'm going to bed now. You know, but that, And then the day that we just called, the Holy Spirit moved in our body to give to Nepal, and in one day... Um, there was such a giving here. This is just a couple months ago that God did such a radical thing that uh, the tithe counters were over in the office and Paula and Lindsay and Erica, I think, were counting that day. And they said, okay, get the elders in here. We're going to count what got brought in. And we were kind of nervous, like, almost like maybe they'd be like, oh, it wasn't very much, but just be encouraged, you know, like, you guys, you know, and, and, uh, and we go and Erica goes, okay. And she hands, holds the calculator up and all the elders lean in. And we're looking on this calculator. Where's the comma at there? 
And it was like $19,500 that had come in that day in our little body. And tears start coming down our cheeks. And we just begin rejoicing. And we, and we prayed there as the tithe counters and elders and some kids that were still around here. And, and, just ex- and then texting people like, look what he's done. Like, look what he has done. Just, it's incredible. It's incredible. So, yeah, it's, it's great to be thinking and to remember those times, huh? Um, exceeding gladness. And the day that um, Jesus came was the day that his presence was brought to earth. And we're exceedingly glad in your presence. In Luke 2, 10, and 11. Uh, Casey? So, where did the good tidings of great joy Good news, like when were the angels saying that to people on earth? When Jesus came, when his presence came to the earth. Verse 7 of our text tonight. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. So the key to not being moved as a king is trusting in the Lord. One commentary writes, the mediate cause is the king's faith the efficient god's mercy so we have man and and their responsibility of just trusting the lord and then we have god and his sovereignty pouring out mercy uh verses 8 through 11 should go pretty quick here this is the kind of switches to the judgment of god upon david's enemies that are still trying to rise up against him verses 8 through 11 dan will you read Just these uh, four verses. And so we have here the wrath of God against the enemies of God. And, uh, you know, the the wrath of God is just a truth of Scripture, and people don't like to hear about it. In fact, if we were a seeker-friendly church, we'd deal away with talking about sin, and we'd deal away about talking about the blood of Jesus and the cross, and we're just tired of hearing about those Debbie Downer things. And we don't want to hear about the wrath of God against sinners. In fact, when the uh, Supreme Court passed the, uh, or voted on the amendment to marriage um, a few weeks ago, um, I just quoted a John Piper article where it says, um, you know, we don't rejoice that this great, great sin has been, you know, allowed. As so many people are rejoicing as, as if we would rejoice that, oh, just a whole nation's become drunk or a whole nation's become sexually immoral. And yes, let's, let's yes, you know, we, we grieve. We grieve because God, God's wrath is against sinners. And then the, my quote went on to say, quote First Thessalonians about, and so now what, you know, we know that sin, not only God's wrath is poured out, but sin is destructive and it's ruined our marriages and our homes and our children and our lives. And look what it's done. And this is just a big part of that now. Uh, and then First Thessalonians says, so now we pray to him who is able to deliver us from the wrath to come. So wrath was mentioned in my post, but the good news of now we pray to him who can deliver from wrath. And we pray for, you know, everyone who's a sinner in this nation. Uh, and so as we pray that, uh, you know, I had a friend from high school who I met at a baptism who was in a famous Christian band uh, who had postered his picture with the rainbow flag there. And um, I was so grieved because I just reconnected with him and found him on Facebook and, was, and, and he just posted, geez, lighten up on my... <laughs> on my post, you know, and I was just like, oh Lord, how do I reply to that? I want to be someone that speaks up for you now and in love and in tenderness. 
And I just, just praying, Lord, how, and then, you know, things like, are you going to tell the Lord to lighten up on the day when he pours out wrath against sinners? You know, like <clears throat> this was pretty light what I shared and praise God, a couple days went by and I just was still praying about how to respond. And he removed his own post, you know, and maybe the Lord was bringing conviction there, but, uh, but the wrath of God against sinners, it's true. But the good news is, is that we get to intercede that people would know Jesus who delivers from the wrath to come. Um, so all of these types of, of, of wording here from David, that the enemies will be found in the right hand of power of God, will find those who hate him. And then um, Dan read about the fiery oven in the time of his anger and swallowing up them in his wrath and fire devouring them. Uh, we read about this in the second coming of Jesus in Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Paula, you want to take this? And so as we look at end times and eschatology and you read Revelation and Zechariah and the book of Daniel, uh, you see that uh, it's come to this pinnacle time where uh, the armies of the earth are heading towards Jerusalem. Uh, They're planning on um, destroying the Jews and they've all kind of culminated in Armageddon. It's a valley there, the Valley of Megiddo uh, in central Israel. And uh, this is the place where the scriptures say that there will be such a such a battle that the blood will come up to the horse's bridle in that day. And I've been in this valley three different times. And every time you drive through, it's a fertile valley and tractors and John Deere's out there, you know. And, and you're just thinking, man, this is going to be. Napoleon sat on a horse over this valley and said, this, no wonder, this is an incredible battlefield. This is the greatest battlefield that there's ever been. And, um, and we see that uh, at the second coming of Jesus, as Paul had just read, Jesus will come with the armies of heaven and they will try to attack and turn everything on Jesus, but he's going to simply, with the word of his mouth, with the sword of his mouth, just smite his enemies and kill uh, his enemies. Uh, what will this look like? Zechariah 14 speaks a bit about this. Uh, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 are um, end times passages of the Lord's return. And uh, Blaine, you want to read these? Zechariah 14, 12, and through 13. And so the fire that's spoken of in, in the psalm tonight, that the Lord will strike them with fire, is in a furnace. Um, there's so much. I mean, you can do some incredible studies, and, and some of it doesn't matter, but it's just interesting to see uh, the word of the Lord, you know, coming true, and it can certainly happen um, as you look at the fire and the way things melt. And since Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the atomic age, they've been able to see what happens to a body when it's hit by that. And what we read in Zechariah is almost like, exactly what happens and so you can just see the battle and how the lord uses things and then how the lord smites his enemies uh uh and and these are his enemies you know we don't rejoice in hearing this for sure but as spurgeon says we pity the lost for they are men but we cannot pity them as enemies of christ uh verse 12 in our psalm tonight therefore you will make them turn their back you will Make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. And it um, seems like I've seen movies lately like, um, you know, where, where arrows are used and they turn and they just, you know, they stick them up but with arrows as in those olden days, you know, and the arrow's like right here. And it's like, not sure what that'll do, you know, being so close to me. But, but as Guzik says, this reminds us how near the judgment of God actually is against those who reject him. And how it's only his great mercy that prevents the release of his arrow of judgment against them. 
It is a great but rarely regarded or understood sin that man ignores and presumes upon his great mercy. Psalm 7, 11 through 13. Paul, will you read this? And then our final verse tonight. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. The glory of all of this is ascribable to God alone. In 1 Chronicles 29, 9-13, God had just brought in a large amount of funding and resources for all that needs to be made for the temple. And David is storing it up, not for himself to build it, for his son Solomon to build it. And much like our, our Sunday where God just brought in just incredible resources for Nepal, an incredible amount of resources come in for the temple, and it causes the king and the people to rejoice. And so that's what happens in First Chronicles 29, 9-13, where um, you know, just, it's an example of David singing and praising the power of God. Barb, will you read that, First Chronicles 29, 9-13? The psalm's end is consistent with the tone throughout. It's full of praise to God for the blessing of victory, deliverance, and answered prayer. This attitude should always be among the people of God. Why don't we set our things aside and why don't we stand together and